0: Well hello everyone, it's good to be with you today. My name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I know that name sounds like uh, they took it from a, one of these Spanish soap operas. Uh, that's the name my parents gave me, and it's so great to be with you today. I have the honor of serving as the pastor of the Spanish ministry here at Sugar Creek. And I want to welcome as well our Missouri City family. Uh, Thank you for being connected with us as well as all of you who are watching us online whether you're watching us live Or you're watching this message after the fact It's so great that you are connected to what God is doing here at Sugar Creek Well today we're in the second part of a series that has the goal of helping us encounter God not only on Sundays Or on our best days, but day by day and If you are still exploring the Christian faith, you still have questions about what it means to be a Christian, or you're new in your Christian faith, this series will help you have like an inside look of what it means to truly follow Christ. Now, if you already are a follower of Christ, well, this series is a reminder of certain practices that should be part of our life as we are growing and maturing in our relationship with God. Now last week, Pastor Mark opened up the series talking about worship, and he explained that worship is seeing God uh, uh, again and coming back to him in a deeper relationship with him. And so, if you haven't seen that message yet, I highly encourage you to watch it. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the topic of prayer. And I think that in order to do this, we need to grapple with an important question, and the question is this. Do our prayers really matter? Do our prayers really matter? See, the answer to that question is gonna affect the way that you pray, and the way that you truly look at prayer. There could be some of you that have been a follower of Christ for quite a while, and yet, you've never enjoyed a robust, prayer life. And so if that is the case, let me say you are not alone. In fact, in a survey that was conducted a few years back by the presidential prayer team, they discovered that less than half of all Americans pray on a daily basis, only about 45%. And they discovered also that about 65% recognize that they only pray maybe once a week. And in addition to that, if we look at the onslaught of criticism towards those that have publicly expressed their prayers online, especially after a tragedy, and been accused of using this simply as a cliche of doing nothing, it almost seems like that the opinion on prayer seems to be waiting in America. Now you could say, well Juan Carlos, what do you expect? Most of these people are non-Christians, so obviously they're going to think that way. And to a certain point, yes, you are right. But here's the problem. When we look at the numbers for Christians, it's not really that much better. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, it tells us that on average, Christians, about uh, 68% of Christians, pray on a daily basis. 17% of Christians say that they pray about once a week. 5% say that they pray about once a month, and get this, 9% uh, they say that they only pray either seldomly or never pray. So let me make you uncomfortable. How often do you pray? How often do you pray? And when I say pray, I'm not saying um, when you say grace before you eat, or having prayed for the Astros to win the World Series, I'm talking about intentional, devotional time dedicated to communicating with God. How often do you do that? and Do you do it on a regular basis? See, I think that part of the problem that we have when it comes to prayer is that we've adopted certain misconceptions that have distorted the way that we view prayer. And even though there are many misconceptions, let me share with you probably the three most popular ones. First one is this, that if everything is determined, then prayer is just a charade. If everything is determined, then prayer is just a charade. And what this view holds is that God has already determined everything that is gonna happen, and because of his foreknowledge, he knows everything that's gonna happen. And because of that, it's pointless for you to pray, because it's not really going to change anything. It's not going to make a difference, so why even pray? But the problem with this view is that, spoiler alert, God is sovereign, and he does have foreknowledge and knows everything that will happen, has happened, and could happen. But the problem with this view is that it redefines sovereignty into saying something that it that the Bible doesn't say. In fact, the way that the Bible defines sovereignty is not determinism because the problem with determinism is that it ultimately makes God the author of evil because God causes everything. Sovereignty in the Bible is presented as this, God's right to rule, God's right to rule. And in his right to rule, God has determined to give us freedom to make choices. Now, whether we make good choices or whether we make bad choices, that will not derail God from accomplishing his purposes because he has the right to rule. Now, the second misconception that I think affects the way that we view prayer is this, that when we name and claim anything, God will magically concede our desires. When we name and claim anything, God will magically concede our desires. What this view says is that the act of naming and claiming is is like a superpower, and when you invoke it, well, you force God to have to do your bidding. But the problem with this is that nowhere in Scripture is this even suggested. And so this ludicrous belief is something that we can't really sustain based on what the Bible says, and if you believe it, you're only setting yourself up for disappointment. Now, the third misconception that I think affects prayer is this, pray only for the big stuff and take care of all the other stuff. Pray only for the big stuff and take care of all the other stuff. And behind this view, behind this misconception is the idea that our petty um, petitions and requests and needs shouldn't be taken to God because that would be bothering him and he has more important business to do. He's running the universe. So, just bring to him those things that are emergencies. Look at prayer as kind of like the emergency boxes that we see in buildings, where it says break only in case of emergency. Well, that's prayer. You only do it when you have an emergency. Now, for everything else, you need to roll up your sleeves, work on it, and take care of it yourself. Now, the problem with this view is that Ultimately, what's really behind it, it's self-reliance and pride. In fact, interestingly enough, in the survey that I mentioned a little while ago, it says that the more money you make, the less you pray. Because it gives this idea that once we have this certain amount of resources, that we don't need God. We can accomplish things on our own. But here's the thing. You just need to go through a life-threatening disease, the breakup of a marriage, the tragedy of losing losing a loved one, to show you that you're not as in control as you think you are. So maybe for some of you, you've accepted one of these misconceptions and that's the reason why you struggle so much with prayer. But my hope for you today, my hope for all of us today is, is this that we would take hold of a biblical principle that has the capacity to transform not only the way that we see prayer, but the way that we actually pray. And this biblical principle is this. Our prayers matter to God, or your prayers matter to God, because you matter to Him. Your prayers matter to God, because you matter to God. See, what's incredible about this is that the creator of the universe decided that he would bestow on us this incredible gift that we call prayer. And that even though he does run the universe and he does all of these important things, he also has time to listen to us every time we pray and to answer our prayers. Kind of reminds me of a story that I, that I heard happened not that long ago. And it was during one of Amazon's annual uh, stockholder meetings. And during the question and answer session, there was a lady that got up and, and uh, asked Jeff Bezos, the owner, founder, and creator of Amazon, he asked him this direct question and, and she said this, could you help me return my package? Could you help me return my package? And he was a little bit stunned because all of the questions had been on finances and uh, how they were forecasting the Amazon and all these things. And so when he heard it, he was like, what what are you asking? Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, Stick around until the end and I'll have someone come around and help you. And in fact, he even apologized to this lady and said, I'm sorry that you had to come to a meeting like this to ask for help to return a package to Amazon. And then he jokingly said to the rest of the crowd, is anyone else here that needs help to return a package? And um, I love this story because it demonstrates the boldness of this lady. See, she didn't care that Jeff Bezos is the fourth richest man in the world. She didn't care that he practically has transformed the way that commerce works in the world today. She was only concerned with her request, and she took it directly to him. Now, Your heavenly Father, on the other hand, cares about you and doesn't need to be convinced about your needs. In fact, he desires to be able to hear what is happening in your life and for you and I to take our needs to him. Now, maybe for some of you that's hard to believe, hard to accept. And what I wanna say is that even though I think that throughout scripture we can find evidence to sustain this point, the greatest thing that we can see, the greatest evidence that we can find throughout scripture is this. The evidence that prayer matters to God is Jesus' invitation for us to pray. Above everything else, the greatest evidence that prayer truly matters to God is Jesus' invitation for you and I to pray. So when Jesus was starting his ministry, his first inaugural address is what we call today the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Every sermon is measured against that one since then. It was so incredible that it actually memorialized the very place where Jesus preached it. And in this sermon, the heart of the sermon is this. God's kingdom has arrived, and you are invited to be part of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that prayer holds an important part in God's kingdom, and that's why throughout the Sermon on the Mount, on several parts of it, you can see that Jesus talks about prayer. And today, we're gonna to look at one of these passages. Now, before we do that, I wanna ask you something, especially if you have been a follower of Christ for some time. See, the temptation that we have is that once we've read a passage several times or we've heard sermons on this several times, it tends to become white noise. And I want you to fight against that today. I want you to intentionally clear your mind and have fresh ears to listen and fresh eyes to see Jesus' invitation for you to pray. So listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verses Seven through verse eleven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you? If his son asks for him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Love this passage. It's full of nuggets of truth. And I wish I had more time to unpack everything on it. That's why I'm just gonna focus on highlighting a few things of what Jesus is saying. And the first thing that stands out to me is this, that prayer requires us to be persistent. uh, Prayer requires us to be persistent. So look again at what Jesus says in verses seven and eight. He says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, notice how Jesus places the onus of praying on the asker, and how these imperative verbs that he uses um, actually should be translated keep on asking keep on seeking, keep on knocking because what it's telling us is the importance of being persistent, of persevering in our prayers. And the other thing that he says in this passage is that there, it seems to be that there's a rising scale of intensity that starts with simply asking, then seeking, then knocking on the door. And Jesus is inviting us to be persistent in our prayers. Now, this is not the only passage that we find that Jesus shows this. There's other parts of, the, of uh, the gospels where he talks about this, but one specific part where it's kind of a mirror image of this passage, what we call a synoptic passage or a synoptic gospel, in it where he talks about the same thing and he uses the exact same phrasing of asking, seeking, and knocking. In Luke chapter 11, in that one, Jesus adds a story. And the story uh, has the purpose of cementing his point. And the story is a little bit weird. It's a weird parable because it's something that as Westerners, we really can't relate. Because it's not something that we would do or we expect from others. And in the parable, Jesus talks about this unexpected guest that arrives at midnight to his friend's house. And his friend, all of a sudden, is in a bind because he needs to offer his guests something to eat. And because of the fact that in first century Palestine, there were no 24-hour Walmart centers, he did the second best thing. He went to his friend's house and asked his friend for help so that he can offer some bread to his guest. Now, expectedly so, his friend is annoyed. And he says, go away, I'm not going to help you. I'm already lying down with my family as was the custom back then that homes were just really one room buildings and that at night they would lay out this mat and the whole family would lay together on the mat so I'm not gonna get up and walk over my family and then in addition he says the door is shut so just go away because I'm not gonna help you and for Jesus' crowd they thought that was a little humorous because they couldn't understand someone not getting up to help, because hospitality was one of the most important things for them. In fact, if that man would not have done this and acted so rudely, by morning, everyone would have heard about this. And this is where Jesus delivers the punchline to this parable. He says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 8. I tell you, Even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, even in a situation where your friend has to be coaxed, has to be forced into helping you because it's inconvenient for them, they will do it because you persist. Well, how much more? Well, your heavenly Father that loves you is willing to answer your prayers and it's worth for us persisting in praying to him. Now going back to Matthew chapter seven, there's another thing that stands out about what Jesus is teaching and it's this. That answered prayer requires asking. Answered prayer requires asking. Notice again how when Jesus talks about the idea of something being given to you, finding something, having a door opened, all of them have a condition. There has to be asking first, there has to be seeking first, there has to be knocking first. In other words, there's something, there's an imperative that we have to be in charge of, be responsible before God answers our prayers. And so, All of this is so important for us because in the end, prayer is simply this. Prayer is asking. The way that you could define prayer is simply asking God for something. Now, you could say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, Juan Carlos. I I don't agree with that because prayer is worship. Prayer is gratitude. And let me say, yes, those can be elements in our prayers, but. The bottom line about prayer that we see throughout scripture is prayer is simply asking. It's simply asking God for something. Now, some of you, if you had stones in your hands, you probably would have already hurled it at me. So let me make my point by using Dr. Stanley Toussaint, an eminent theologian and Bible expositor from Dallas Seminary, which may, who he makes the exact same point. That prayer is simply asking, and he uses two things as his main arguments. First thing is this, the Lord's Prayer, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's Prayer, which is the model prayer that that Jesus gave us for us to follow, what he says is that every single phrase in the Lord's Prayer is a request, it's asking. And you might say, okay, come on. I know the Lord's Prayer. And the beginning of the Lord's prayer is worship, right? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is worship. Yeah, but the problem is that when we actually render it from the Greek, what he's saying is this. He's requesting God and asking God, make your name recognized, glorified among the people. Establish your kingdom on earth as you do in heaven, what is it? It's requests. And when we go through each one of them, each part of the model prayer, each one is also a request. Now Dr. Toussaint uses a second thing as evidence. And the second thing is this, that every single one of the Greek terms, six Greek terms that are used in the New Testament and translated as prayer, every single one has a connotation of asking, of asking. So when we think about prayer, prayer is simply asking. Now, some of you will say, Juan Carlos, I think that's a line, you know, that we shouldn't cross because you you would open up a can of worms because then prayer could be abused or, or we pray for the wrong reasons, wrong motives, and those concerns are my concerns as well but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus extends an open invitation for us simply to come to our creator and ask him to request. And so, one thing that we should not forget as we're asking is this, that our freedom to ask doesn't overrule God's prerogative to answer. Our freedom to ask doesn't overrule God's prerogative to answer. God is still sovereign, And he will answer our prayers. Now, he can answer yes, he can answer no, or he can answer wait. But we are still invited to present our requests to him. Now, Jesus continues, and now he uses a metaphor. And in the metaphor, he decides to choose a relationship, a human relationship, for us to understand how much God cares for us. And he decides he, to use the relationship of a loving father with his child. And in it, he uses these rhetorical questions that expect that the answer will be affirmative, that it will be a yes. So look at the way that now he, he says uh, in the next verses, in verses nine through 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? See, his point is clear. Any good father delights in being able to answer the questions or, or the requests of his child. And the reason is that God delights when we ask him because it's part of our relationship with him. God delights when we ask him because it's part of our relationship with him. As any good parent knows, every time their child comes with a request, there's a certain joy in answering those requests or taking care of the needs of their children. This is something that became very evident to me a few years ago. Uh, When I was uh, living in California, I was raised in in Los Angeles, some of my my most cherished memories growing up was going to Disneyland with my family. That's when I became a fan of the parks. Not only because of the rides and the ambiance, but just, it's such a magical place. So a few years ago, my wife and I, we decided that we would take our girls to uh, Disney World in Orlando so that they could have a similar experience that I had growing up. And I discovered something different. That as much as I enjoyed going to Disneyland when I was a kid, this trip was the one that I enjoyed the most. And it had nothing to do with the rides. It had nothing to do with more attractions. It had everything to do with seeing the joy in my daughters. That's what made it more fulfilling for me. And in the same way, your Heavenly Father delights when he answers your prayers, when he knows your concerns and acts in your life because he loves you. He's delighted in the fact that he has a relationship with you. Now this leads us to a question that might be on your mind, and it's this. Uh, Juan Carlos, what you're saying sounds good, you you know, makes a lot of sense, but here's the thing. There's been times in my life that I've been asking God for things, and he hasn't responded. And it's not only me, I have people around me that in the same way, they were praying and asking for God to do certain things. And it wasn't superficial things, it wasn't selfish things. It was important things, such as being healed of a life-threatening disease, restoring a marriage, or helping in the midst of tragedy, protecting a loved one, all those things, and yet God remains silent in all those requests. So how do you square all of this with what Jesus says and with what you're saying with that experience that all of us have had? The first thing that I would say is this, I am sorry for the suffering that you have gone through. And the reality is, nothing that I can say from this stage will take away the pain that you've gone through in your past, that maybe you're going through at the moment, or in the future, that you will have to tackle a situation like this. But there's one biblical truth that we should not forget as we face those difficult moments in our life that as we're going through suffering, that we would remember a central truth about what we face, and it's this, that we trust God with what is best even when it doesn't make sense. We trust God with what is best even when it doesn't make sense. See, because God doesn't intervene in our life like we ask him to, it doesn't mean that he is not loving or he doesn't care for us. In fact, one of the things that we should remember is that Jesus himself, the Son of God, prayed on one occasion that God would give him a different way that he could reconcile humanity with the Father. And the answer from the Father was no. In the same way, the Apostle Paul asked on one occasion that God would intervene and would remove a thorn in the flesh that had been brought so much suffering to his life. And the answer from God was no. Now, for most uh, Bible interpreters today, majority believe that the thorn in the flesh has to do with a with physical illness that Paul had. It seems as though that when Paul encountered uh, Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was Blinded, but when he was healed, his his uh, vision was not fully restored. And so this was important as an apostle, as he's traveling to take the good news of Jesus all over the Roman Empire, that he would have good sight. And, and Paul is asking God, God, restore my sight so I can serve you better. And this is what he says in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Concerning this. I pleaded with the Lord. Now, I I didn't just pray. I pleaded with anguish. I asked him, not only one time, not only two times, but three times, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul, I know that from your vantage point, it seems that this is the best thing for you, but it really isn't. I can see how this will hurt you. So I will give you something that even though you don't think is best, it really is. And so what is Paul's reaction? Well, he says, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. See, just as an earthly father, a good earthly father, doesn't give his son or his daughter everything that they ask for because they know that by doing that, they will hurt them in the end. In the same way, our heavenly father is not gonna give us everything we ask him because he knows that that will hurt us. And because he loves us, he is willing to give us what is best, even when it doesn't make sense on this side of eternity. So what do we do with all this, right? What is, how do we apply this? And as I started with the question about if, matter, if prayer matters, I wanna give us three application points that has to do with the fact that if prayer matters, then there, be, there should be certain things that happens in our life. The first thing is this. If prayer matters, if prayer truly matters, make prayer your first recourse instead of your last resource. Make prayer your first recourse rather than your last resource. If God has bestowed on us the incredible gift of prayer, why would we shelve it? Why would we ignore it? Why would we not use it in our everyday life? It just doesn't make sense. Now the second thing is this. Nothing is too big or small for you to give to God in prayer. Nothing is too big or too small for you to give to God in prayer. Your heavenly father that cares about you and loves you, cares about your lost key like he does your lost child, cares about your indigestion as he cares about your bout with cancer. Because your prayers matter to him because you, matter to him. And the last thing is this. The only prayers God will not answer, the only prayers that God will not answer are your unoffered prayers, are the ones that we never pray for, that we never ask. So, let me ask you then. If prayer matters to God because you matter to God, then how would praying in an intentional way change your life? How would accepting this truth and incorporating prayer change your marriage or your walk with God or the ways that you face your fears or your dreams in the future? It would change everything. So why not pray? Now for some of you, your next prayer needs to be this, to accept Jesus as your savior and in your Lord. And it might be confusing, you might not exactly know how to do that, you might think it's some mystical experience, but the reality is that we wanna help you make this your next step because it's the most important decision that you could ever make in your life, trusting in Jesus as your savior. Maybe for some of you, your next step has to be baptism or it needs to be simply to connect to a group that supports you, especially in the difficult moments in life, we call that our connect groups, or simply to serve here in our church. Whatever your next step needs to be, we wanna be a church that helps you in that process. So as you leave the auditorium, there's a place that we've prepared called the Next Step Center, and we would love for you to stop by so we can help you in your next step. So Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us prayer. But more importantly, thank you, thank you because you love us in such a tremendous way, undeservedly way, that you care about every single thing that happens in our life. And you invite us, as your son Jesus showed us, to pray to you because our prayers matter because we matter to you. We love you, we thank you, and help us to make prayer an important part of our lives. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.